The reading's taken from First Book Chronicles 29, 10 to 16. And David's prayer. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the power and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I, who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Thanks be to God. I've just switched myself off. Fantastic. Yeah, I was a bit croaky. In fact, I completely lost my voice on Wednesday to the point of not even being able to whisper. Um, my family were absolutely cock-a-hoop, uh, and uh, I didn't talk for... Can I put this down? No, I probably can't. My, I didn't talk for about two days in order to get it back. It is mostly there, so if I, um, if I keep it short and keep it quiet, we'll all, we'll all be good. Um, as I say, I've had to not think too much sitting there this morning about being back, um, because it is quite overwhelming. It is so lovely to be um, back with you. Um, as I say, as Joe said, I only live around the corner, and so I see some of you walking past on a Sunday morning um, if I've got a late start or if I've got a Sunday when I'm not uh, in action somewhere, and um, I pray you on your way, and uh, it's lovely to get the chance to sneak in. Um, at the same time as feeling a bit overwhelming, there were a couple of great moments this morning that kept my feet on the ground. I thought I would sneak in through the back door um, I've been very good over three and a half years of never using the codes I know to, to kind of come and have a look around. So this morning I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to sneak in the back door. We haven't changed that code, I kid you not, in 20 years, have we, Charles? I reckon John knew I was coming. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I, Lynn's had to come and let me in, so that, I, I know where I am now. Um, and then, uh, and then Charles came up to me and handed me an envelope. And I thought, oh, that's really nice. I'm here, a gift, opened it up. It's got tea bags in. I, you'll have to ask him afterwards why he's given me a t a, an envelope of tea bags. Um, it's delight to come uh, and sort of finish off this series um, thinking about uh, this vision for every Londoner to encounter the love of God in Jesus Christ. We've been thinking as a whole diocese across uh, North London about what it is we're here for. And... Uh, my, my thought is to somehow sort of anchor this in the realities of everyday life and to think a little bit about um, resources, what it is that makes all of that possible. Um, when you think of that pyramid uh, that I know uh, you've seen um, on some of those previous uh, weeks, uh, one way of thinking about the pyramid is that old adage about vision, um, strategy, and tactics. Um, vision for every Londoner. Um, strategy. Um, it's a bit like saying, well, we know where we're going to get to. What's our route? If we're climbing a mountain, which route up the mountain are we going to take? So our strategy is about these three ambitions. 
creative growth, confident disciples, compassionate communities. Uh, tactics is, well, what are we going to do about it locally? What's our practical approach? And Joe, I know, has talked about your mission action plan, um, about becoming more welcoming, um, about focusing on children and young people, about developing um, uh, ways of working in and amongst those who live in and around the Ivory Bridge estate. Uh, there's one that gets missed out quite a lot when you're thinking about vision, strategy, and tactics, and I think it's pretty crucial, and that is values. I think values is what that priority sort of strip of the pyramid is. In other words, as we're going up this mountain, as we know where we want to get, knowing what our tactics are going to be, as we're doing all this stuff, how do we want to do it? What, what sort of way do we want to do it? Well, we want to do it whilst growing younger, growing safer, and more racially just. But there is another layer, and you'll see it there that says resources. And if you've ever wondered where archdeacons live, that's where we live. That's the archdeacons layer. That's my entire life. People, buildings, money. People, buildings, and money. In a sense, it asks the question, we know where we want to get to. We've got a sense of how we want to get there. What have we got to use? What are the resources in our hands? You'll know that feeling when you're about to go off on a, a holiday, especially if you're silly enough to go camping, you'll know this, the collect the kit moment, where you're going into the shed and finding the tent and the camping gas stove, where you're going up into the loft and thinking, I know we've got two sleeping bags, they're up here somewhere. You're collecting the kit, what are the resources you're gonna use? It took me back actually to days when we'd be um, going off to New Wine or somewhere like this um, as a church. Or for that matter, when we were preparing a big event like Messy Church, and our house would be simply full of stuff. And of course, the journey isn't the stuff. The vision isn't the stuff. In some ways, they're the least important bit. But without the stuff, without the resources, the people, the money, the buildings, actually getting where you want to get to is not just hard, but impossible. But when you think about stuff, when you think about those resources, it's possible to have an incredibly unhealthy attitude to the stuff we have. And that's true as a church. It's also true for us as individuals and as households. On the one hand, we can end up with an attitude of, you might think, scarcity. We just never have enough. And it's very tempting to think that way because actually we just never have enough. It's true. I, I cannot think in 20-something years of being involved in local um, parish ministry of there was ever a day where I thought, do you know what, we've got enough people to do our children's work without ever sweating. We've got enough money in the bank. It's fine. We've got enough of a good building that we're never going to have a leaky roof or have an inflexible space that we can't use or that we can't heat. It's very easy to end up in that sense of we just don't have enough. But on those fleeting moments where we do, the opposite problem is that we can end up with an attitude of pride. Look what we've got, how well we're doing. Uh, look at our great building. It looks really good from the outside. L feel how warm we... Okay, we'll skip over that. Glad some things haven't completely changed. Um, you know, how much money we've got in the bank, how much we have, that sense of we're doing all right. Look at us. We're good. The funny thing is that whether you've got an attitude of scarcity, I never have enough in my home, or I never have enough as a church, or an attitude of pride, look at me, 
look what I've done. Both scarcity and pride land us with a whole big dose of anxiety because it ends up being all about us. Either, oh my goodness, I don't have enough, or look at me, what I've done. But then what happens if I don't do enough? What happens if I have even less? Well, the passage we've had read for us from 1 Chronicles this morning puts a complete lie to that self-focused anxiety. It lifts our eyes up to the God we meet in Jesus Christ, in whom and from whom all that stuff, people, buildings, money, actually comes. The passage comes from a story in the Old Testament about King David. And King David um, has established his people uh, in the Promised Land, and he's living in this fabulous palace. And he looks around at his palace, and he looks at literally the tent that they have God living in. I mean, they knew that God didn't live in a tent, but in the sense of the place they went to worship was a tabernacle, a tent that they'd carried through the wilderness. And he looks at where he's living, and he looks at where God's living, and he says, well, that's not good enough. God, I've got a really good idea. I don't know how many of your prayers start that way. God, I've got a really good idea. It's a good way of making God chuckle or sigh. But anyway, God, I've got a really good idea. I'm going to build you a temple. Just like all the other people have got temples for their gods, I'm going to build you a temple. And God says, "Um, no, no, you're not. Your son can build me a temple. And what I love is that David doesn't sulk. He doesn't go, well, if I'm not going to do it, I mean, Solomon's on his own. What he does is he says, okay, what can I do? And so effectively, he collects the kit. He gets everything ready. He collects all the stuff that's needed for this huge thing that God is going to ask his son Solomon to do. And the reason that we had for us was David's prayer. It's a a big, long prayer. It's really worth spending some time in. It's one I'd, I'd encourage you to go back to. Um, and live with for a few weeks. Because in it is so much goodness by way of an antidote to either an attitude of scarcity or of pride, whether you're looking at your own bank account, your own home, or you're looking at the resources of a church. And at the heart of David's prayer is one core theological idea, a rock-solid foundation on which to build life, on which to build faith, on which to build church. It's profoundly simple, it's profoundly countercultural, and it's very easily stated. It's simply this, all things come from God. All things come from God. This little verse that we've got up on the screen, Lord our God, All this abundance, I love that word, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. It comes again and again. Verse 12, wealth and honor come from you. Verse 14, everything comes from you, and we've only given you what comes from your hand. Verse 16, this verse, all this abundance you have provided. 
It would have been so easy for them to either feel a sense of scarcity or pride. Scarcity because not all of them had huge riches to bring. Pride because they were going to look at this huge pile of treasures and go, we did that. God, I bet you're really glad that we were this generous. I bet you're really glad that we had this stuff. If you've been a parent or watched this happen with other children, you'll know that that is exactly the moment when a child uses your money to buy you a birthday present. <laughs> they're ever so chuffed, and they want you to be ever so chuffed too. But all they're doing is giving you your stuff. But God still loves it. It's worth pausing a moment to think just how often this theme comes back in the scriptures. It's a theme on which we hear Jesus preach extensively and repeatedly his parables of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field who are provided for, cared for by God and never think for a moment how to provide for themselves because God gives to them just what they need. All things come from you. Just for a second, before we carry on together, just take a mental inventory of your stuff, the people in your life, the money and resources in your life, the building you live in, clothes, food, home, books, Netflix library, holiday, friends, family, hobbies, skills, music, books. It goes on and on and on. However little you feel you have, you do have. And it's the same for us as a church. Whatever we have, this building, sitting on what is actually a relatively big site in London, terms, with halls, a garden to play in, right in the middle of a residential neighborhood, with a remarkably, I wish I'd, I probably shouldn't say this, a remarkably sound roof. <laughs> Sorry, Joe, that's my fault, wasn't it? Um, a sound system, all joking apart, a heating system that's doing its best, but also people, the people who work hard behind the scenes, the people on PCC, the people who welcome the door, the people who are out with children and young people this morning, the people who lead worship, the people who preach, your clergy, your lay leaders. It's incredibly countercultural to say that our right attitude to all of this stuff in our own lives and the life of the church is rightly gratitude rather than pride. But I want to suggest that alongside the reminder to be grateful, this one simple idea presses us to change the question that we ask when we do an inventory like this. Because I think that when we look at what we've got, whether as individuals or as a church, the question we tend to ask is, what shall I do with all of this? Whereas the question the Bible says we should ask is, why has God given this? to me. Let's just repeat those two questions. We tend to say, what shall I do with all of this stuff? But I think God has us to ask, why has God given this to me? So in the context of this sermon series and going back to that vision, we believe God has given us all of this stuff 
so that every Londoner can have the chance to encounter the love of God in Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that through, yes, being creative about, in the way that we grow church, spurring one another on to be confident disciples, encouraging one another to be compassionate with our local communities. And as we do that, we're going to prioritize being a church that's growing younger, growing safer, growing more racially just. That's the why God has given us this stuff. The people sitting around us, the buildings that we get to use, the money that's in the bank and that's in our pockets. Two final and further thoughts about people, money and buildings, the resources that we have as a church community. The first is there in verse um, 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. The reminder is God has plenty to spare. It's a wonderful to and fro um, in the Psalms where God is saying, you know, you're giving me all this stuff like I should be grateful but the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. They were bringing their sacrifices, getting quite proud with that sense of, look what I've done. And God's going, well, that was mine already. I mean, thanks. God has plenty. I'm trying to remember exactly when this was, but I'm going to say in my first year here, it might have been my first two or three years, I, it's all rather collapsed into one, like those 15. Um, Somewhere in the first year or two of being here, I remember staying up to about one o'clock in the morning, not writing a sermon, not wandering about small groups, not trying to work out how to keep the heating on, simply doing a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet was a, um, a cash flow prediction. Now, I have to tell you, I'm not the best person to do that. I did an engineering degree. We work in approximations. And a theology degree, we believe three is one and one is three. So that's not great. I stayed up to one o'clock in the morning working out when the money was going to run out. And I worked out that we had about 80 days until All Souls went bankrupt. This is about 15 years ago. And my prayer to God was along the lines of, God, can't you count? <laughs> we were doing quite well. God had plenty. It just wasn't in our bank account yet, but God had plenty. Actually, what it's like, I didn't know Phil was going to use the, the slide that he used, but actually the story of this past year is another reminder. God has plenty. It's often in our pockets. God has to release the generosity in his people. Yeah, absolutely. But God has plenty. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. There are plenty of times when life has crisis. There are plenty of times when we have little to nothing. Some of you have been through incredibly hard times in your own lives financially. But we do need to remember that God has plenty. And actually as a church, the reminder is that God has enough to give us everything that we need to do what he's calling us to do. It's rarely when we want him to give it to us. It's very last minute is God. And that, I've struggled with that a little and it's not always as much as we'd like, but God has plenty. But here's the second and final thought, which is an encouragement that God sees rather further than we can. 
That verse again talks about God being from everlasting to everlasting. David wanted to build the temple right here, right now. And God said no, because the time wasn't right yet. There are one or two people here today, maybe just one actually, who was here in September 2000 when All Souls was replanted. You could ask Charles later whether actually he could imagine back then, today. There are none of us who are here when this church was built around 150 years ago. And none of the Victorians who put their hands in their own pockets and who put their own shoulders to the wheel. It was mostly built by people who lived around here to keep the costs down. I bet they wouldn't have been able to see what God was going to do in this building over the next 150 years. But God knew. He's got plenty. He sees far into the future. He knows what he's doing. All things come from him. So let's stop asking what shall I do with this stuff? Let's start asking, why has God given me this? Whether it's in our own lives, our own bank accounts, our own roof over our heads, our friendships, our communities, whether it's in our life as a church. And let's keep coming back to that why, which is about every Londoner getting the chance to encounter the love that is in Jesus Christ. Somebody at some point in my life introduced me to Jesus. He's used me and you to introduce others. We can't see what God will do in the years to come, but he will always give us what we need to make that possible. It's such a joy to see what God is doing here. It is such a joy to have been a little bit of that story. It is such a joy to know that all things come not from me, not from you, but from the one who has plenty and who has plenty of time too. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for all your good gifts, for people, for, yes, money, for the buildings that we worship in and minister from and live in. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you. Thank you that you, we can never outgive you. That in Jesus, you gave us your very self to live and die, to rise again for us. And we simply pray that we would give ourselves and all that we have in response to your great love, now and forever. Amen.